Welcome to the Clean Simple Free Podcast, a place to discuss how clean spaces make for a more simple way of life, and when your life is simplified, your mind will feel free. I'm your host, Ashley Alexia Fox, and I hope everyone had a happy Halloween and are enjoying the cooler weather of November. This is episode 8, and today I'm interviewing Jason Carrasco. He's a musician with a psychedelic band called Marshmallow Machine, and he's currently trending at number three on Reverb Nation. He's also a talented visual artist, a longtime friend of mine, and a father of two. And of course, he's a minimalist. So Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to interview with me today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my first question for you would be, what inspired you to become a minimalist? Well, uh, I've always been an organized person, uh, mm-hmm. neat and organized, even as a little kid. And even though being organized doesn't make you a min- minimalist, um, it's definitely a, a head start, I think. And I really didn't start calling myself a minimalist until maybe a few years ago. Um, and I find it was more out of necessity when, uh, me and my wife first got married, we were moving on, on average of every two years, we were finding another apartment, another rental house, things like that. I definitely know how that feels. (laughs) Right. So I kind of started cutting my possessions and just clutter in order to make moving uh, faster, easier for the next move and the next move. And I I really just kind of went from there. And I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but me and my wife decided when we first got married that we would try to live debt-free. And that's kind of um, one of me and my wife's, yeah, goals, no credit card, you know, always try to have some kind of emergency fund so you don't need credit cards, things like that. So maybe that kind of started the ball rolling a little bit more because when you start to to live debt-free, you start to cut things out of your life that maybe would lead to debt or, you know, things that are of monetary value that you don't even, you don't even want anymore or things like that. You can just sell or donate things like that and, you know, really simplify your life. So maybe that had something to do with it. And really, uh, it just kind of went from there and the ball started rolling. And then uh, a few years ago, I I started coming across the term minimalism and minimalist lifestyle, and it kind of fit me. So that's when I kind of uh, adopted the, the moniker of being a minimalist. Well, I think that's really impressive that you guys prioritized going debt-free because we live in a very consumeristic-based society, and that's really hard. That's really hard to live without that kind of fallback plan of utilizing credit cards. And it can be tempting to spend a lot more when you're like, oh, we'll just put it on the card and then pay it off. And then sometimes that day never comes. Exactly. So, So that's a really admirable thing to aspire to, I think. Well, thank you. My next question was going to be, how has minimalism improved your life? But I think that going debt-free is a pretty big improvement. Um, That was part of it. Um, the, The main improvement is 
let's say, you know, I have a long day at work and it's, it's really tough and I'm, I'm kind of exhausted. I don't want to come home to clutter because mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much clutter I had. But when we started going minimalist, um, I just find it takes off so much stress just to come home and not have anything to do, not have anything to clean up, not have anything, um, a, a box of stuff you need to go through and sort out and things like that. Just having less tasks when you get home. Yeah. Taking off a lot of stress. So, so, you know, like I said, being organized was already a, a head start. Trying to, to live as debt-free as possible, you know, kind of got the momentum going even more. But the payoff to me is the reduction of just stress and always feeling like you need to be doing something or cleaning something or sorting something out and things like that. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like your home should be a sanctuary where you go to get away from your stressors and your work stress and everything like that and relax and chill out. And I think, I I feel like the majority of us have so much stuff and so many things to do that it just feels like a never ending to-do list. And so by simplifying, I like what you said about taking away the after hours tasks, so to speak. So that's, that's really well put. That's really well said. Yes. Right. Awesome. So you're a dad, you have two boys. So with having kids, how do you even manage to keep up with minimalism? Because my niece and nephew, they wear me out when they come over just for the day. I mean, so, (laughs) so how do you have the energy and the time management skills? I mean, how does being a, a busy father factor into living a minimalist lifestyle? Well, the biggest setback trying to be a minimalist and having kids is you get emotionally attached um, to so many things, baby clothes, uh, certain toys they had, you know, things like pacifiers and things like that. So that's the biggest setback. And I find if you're really sentimentally attached, having a picture of it is just as good as actually is keeping the outfit or whatever it is as far as sentimental clutter so to speak like you said baby toys pacifiers clothes where you're like oh he looked so cute in this stuff that your kids have grown out of taking a picture of it like you said versus keeping it I I think that's a great idea how hard is it for you to part with those sentimental things versus just keeping a picture of it is it hard to part with those objects for you well, it's not as hard for me as it is maybe for my wife. Um, and I think that it, generally speaking, um, maybe husbands are a little bit more um, aloof. I guess they, they don't get as sentimentally attached to um, clothing and things like that. You know, th- there are a few sure. things, but I definitely think um, it, generally speaking, of course, it's more of um, the moms get really attached, I guess, because they're the ones with the child more um, getting them dressed and things like that. And they, they get yeah. kind of emotionally attached. But, you know, if it really is something you want to remember, I find, you know, having a picture and putting that picture in a frame that you can always see and things like that are, are a big step 
towards just moving past the sentimentality of some of the, the childhood possessions. But other than that, you, you have to keep your kid's room as organized with shelves, cubbies, cubes, you know, storage cubes. You know, you have to make it a, a, a fixture in your kid's bedroom. Um, one thing my wife does is she has a um, this shelving unit that she actually keeps in another room, our guest bedroom. And she puts m- the majority of their toys in that and doesn't oh, let cool. them go in the room. And so she'll pull toys from that shelving unit a little at a time. And every time she pulls something out, she puts something else back in. So they, they only have limited toys at a time. Um, oh, that's cool. And I, I find that really helps. But also you, you have to keep in mind, kids are going to play with anything they have access to. So right. you kind of have to put yourself in your kid's shoes and say, do they really want this or are they just playing with it because it's there and really kind of draw the line with yourself of, you know, we're not going to buy anymore for a while or we're going to give something away before we get something else, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, I love that. And I can't relate to being a parent. You know, I have pets and yes, they're a responsibility, but I know it's not the same as raising a child, but sometimes I will change out my dogs or cats toys and change it out and they'll act like, awesome, we have new toys to play with. So I guess the same would be true for kids, you know, just taking toys out that they've forgotten about and suddenly they seem new again. Right. Um, And you just have to keep in mind is this going to be something, if we buy this toy for them, is it going to be something they're going to play with for a few days and then it's just going to sit on the ground and be a mess mm-hmm. after that? You know, you, you have to make that judgment call. Yeah. Um, you know, and maybe if it, if it's something you really want them to have at the time, just do the thing where you trade it out, you know, trade something in, swap something out, and just minimize their, the toys that they have at one time. And then if they do get bored, if, if you do find it is just becoming a mess, put it away for a while and let them miss it for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's really insightful. And I'm sure a lot of parents listening to this will be getting some tips and ideas because that's a unique way to do things for your kids to help them sort of decide what they want and what they want to play with by seeing what they actually miss. I'm sure you guys also avoid loud, noisy toys that are going to drive you and your wife crazy all day, right? <laughs> yeah, we we try to. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that would be one of the things I would do as a parent. Even my dog's squeaky toys, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, but she loves them, so <laughs> whatever. Um, so you've talked a lot about really good ideas for parenting and minimalism. As far as parenting in general, I know one of your sons has autism. And so I can imagine that presents a whole new series of challenges. And I'm not trying to turn this into the parenting podcast, but I don't know if you'd like to speak a little more to that for other parents who are listening and maybe facing similar challenges with their children who have autism as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, my, my oldest son does have 
mild to moderate autism. And the biggest symptom, I guess you would call it, is he doesn't communicate. Uh, he's five now, and he's just now starting to put two-word sentences together and three-word sentences together. He has always struggled at telling us what he wants or what what he needs us to do for him and things like that. And so that, that's been the uh, biggest tell of his autism. And where that factored into being a minimalist is for, for a while early on when he when he first started to communicate and he first started, we started off with uh, a few sign language signs. And so, yeah, so that's kind of the first step, getting them talking and things like that. Well, at first he would want something and Mm -hmm. he wouldn't know how to tell us. And he would just kind of either cry. We wouldn't know what he was crying about or uh, whatever. Um, But then, you know, we, he would go to like a, a the toy section of a store and he'd start like pointing to stuff. He would start uh, doing, you know, sign language for stuff he wanted. So we would buy him stuff just to kind of reward him for actually telling us what he wanted. Um, yeah. Wow. And then we, we kind of found that we were buying, uh, the more he started to communicate, we were buying a lot more stuff just to kind of reward him for reaching out basically and telling us what he, he wanted. And so that did kind of become a pitfall. Um, and that just came o- over time. He, he had to learn. No, he had to learn, you know, wait or next time, things like that, you know, simple commands like that. And so, so we had to treat it just like we were, we would with our other son, you know, maybe he doesn't get every uh, a toy or something or something he wants every time we go to a store. It, it was really over time, but it did present the pitfall of buying him things as a reward for communication. And like I said, it just came over time that he started to learn, you know, not every time, you know, he, he doesn't get every, something every time he asks for it. And that just came with the more he started uh, learning new words and new commands and new things to tell us, you know, it, it, it kind of didn't get as bad um, him wanting something every time we went to the store or something like that. Well, thank you for sharing. And you guys sound like great conscientious parents. I have so much respect for parents in general, but I especially commend parents dealing with a child who has any kind of, difficulties, whether it's ADHD or autism or anything above and beyond and in between. And I can see how that especially would make you want to make your home a sanctuary and have fewer tasks to deal with because then you can focus on your kids and your spouse, your work and your creativity and just kind of de-stress from everything. Exactly. Yes. And, and it did... Uh, factor into us living minimally is just trying to reduce our tasks kind of got the ball rolling towards everything else that we wanted to uh, accomplish or, you know, just restrict the amount of stuff we had. So it, it did factor into it. Kids with autism, they really need 
routines, you know, so they communicate better. They start, they start learning everyday tasks better. They really need their own routine. And the more and more we started uh, going minimal, the more we found more time and effort to dedicate towards giving our son a, a routine. So it did factor in that way. Well, again, you and your wife sound really dedicated and devoted to your kids, and I'm sure a lot of other parents out there can appreciate this and possibly learn something from it. So again, thank you for sharing. When we come back, we still have lots to talk about, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, are we back on? Yes, we are back. And my next question for you is, I have gotten a lot of questions over the years on my YouTube channel to the effect of how can I make my spouse or significant other a minimalist? And that's a tough but valid question. Anyone who's in a committed long-term relationship um, probably has this question if one person is more organized or minimal than the other and they're trying to transform their life but they have a significant other who isn't totally on board. So, for example, my fiancé is clean and he's fairly organized, but I wouldn't classify him as a minimalist. However, we've moved around a lot also, just like you guys, and over the years I've seen him let go of things more freely and easily during the many, many times we've moved. And I don't know if it's a lead-by-example thing, and it's definitely a learned habit for myself as well. You know, everybody is on a different journey. Like, whether you're a spouse who isn't doesn't totally get the minimalism thing, or whether you're a minimalist yourself, everybody is taking different steps. So I feel like I never really have a concrete answer because everyone is so different. So my question would be, is, it sounds like your wife is a minimalist. I don't know if that was a habit that she picked up or um, did she, at first, did she support or really get the minimalist thing? Yeah. Well, my wife does consider herself a minimalist now, and it was kind of out of the blue for me because she hasn't always. And I, you know, I've been considering myself a minimalist for the past few years. And then one day she came to me and she was like, Oh, you know, I'm really into minimalism. So I want to get rid of this stuff. And I was kind of like, uh, on the inside, I was like, you're telling me all this, you know, I've been trying to get you to to clear out the stuff for (laughs) years now, you know, but it really is, I, I guess, to answer part of the question, you can't, make your significant other a minimalist some people just aren't right you know and and it is a lifestyle and it is just like any other lifestyle you know you can't just make your spouse you know move into a tiny house or something like that you know they, they have to get to a point where they want it and they choose it for themselves or really just find it themselves and and i think that's what my wife kind of did Yeah, nothing good will ever come out of forcing someone to become a minimalist because if they're not inclined that way naturally, they're just going to balk at it and it just won't work. Sometimes you kind of have to do your part to make minimalism work for you personally, regardless of your roommates, spouse, kids, you know, other people in the home who aren't 
on board or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find with myself, my main downfall is I'm just a born collector. You know, if there's a, a set of something or a, a series of something, I have to have the whole set, the whole series, mm. you know, so at some point, I don't know what, what the breaking point for me was, but at some point I just, I guess I just kind of realized that about myself mm-hmm. and I just kind of talked myself into, you know, I don't need the whole set of something or the whole series of something or, or whatever. And that's when I started really getting rid of stuff that maybe I liked knowing that I had, but I never, I, I wouldn't interact with it in any way. I just, I just like knowing I had it, you know? Sure. And so I, I started clearing stuff out, um, decluttering. And I think it was a little bit lead by example. I think my wife did kind of notice how much I was, I was getting rid of and how much I was okay with it. And then through the different moves and, and getting rid of stuff, every time we move, we just kind of got in that routine. And then finding out my son had autism, that factored into it. And I think one thing led to another where she ended up choosing minimalism for herself. And in a way, she's a lot more uh, dedicated to it th- than I am. Wow. Um, and, it, and it really was she really had to find it for herself. And once she was on board, she was very uh, motivated to declutter and live minimally. So it, to, I guess to, to the short answer is people really have to find it for themselves and get on board with it for themselves. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I don't feel like I could ever push someone to be a minimalist or condone someone forcing their significant other to adopt a lifestyle they're not in agreement with you know my partner has always been supportive of my organizational let's say endeavors but it was really neat to see over the years my fiance getting rid of things more freely like I remember one move in particular he got rid of two small boxes of books and he collects books so it was like oh my god this is pretty crazy to see that happening or a shirt won't fit properly and he'll say yeah let's donate this instead of yeah I'm just gonna put it in the top of my closet and that has happened over time and I think that's how it naturally happens it's got to be natural but I feel like that's such a hard question to ask and answer Because it's like you either have a significant other who gets it, will come around to it, or maybe you just keep living minimally and they never come around and that's okay too. But yeah, I'm always interested to hear how others go about handling this issue, so to speak. So Right, um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, earlier you were talking about collections and prior to this interview, you mentioned that you were a comic book collector and you got rid of 90% of your collection. How does that even happen? That had to be a difficult decision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess the the breaking point for me is uh, I mentioned all the moves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my collection at one time was... I would say hundreds of pounds, you know, just moving boxes from one apartment to another. They started taking up closets full of, of space. Sure. Um, at one point we had to rent a storage unit to, to keep them in and 
things like that. So I guess that was the breaking point is just the weight, all the moving, and even the additional expense uh, money-wise of needing a, a separate storage, storage space for yeah. them. What happened was, uh, I guess once I moved out on my own and I had my own money and things, I had subscriptions to multiple comic titles. So, you know, within a year or two, my collection went from just a few dozens to hundreds. And so one box led to another full box, which led to another full box. And they really just multiplied so fast. And really the the tipping point was I was kind of looking through my collection, uh, trying to list them all and and take inventory. And I realized there were some that I would get in the mail, I would read them once, put them in a bag and board, and never see them again. There was ones I didn't even know I had. Oh, um, wow. And it was really that plus just the weight. And like I said, we moved multiple times and just carrying them from one place to another, the added monetary expense of a uh, uh, storage unit to keep them in it was really just it all just kind of boiled over and i was like you know what i don't need all this uh there were, were certain comics i had that were as- attached to a specific memory you know my mom took us to the beach before we went to the beach she took us to 7-eleven and i bought a comic there to read at the beach you know a, a specific memory i, I would keep that comic Sure. But if it was just one that just came in the mail because I had a subscription, I, I could have got rid of it. And, you know, I was surprisingly okay with it. The more I started getting rid of it, the more I was motivated. The more comics I got rid of, the more I was motivated to get rid of even more. Really weigh my sentimental attachment to some of them and get rid of ones that, you know, it, I really wasn't attached to. Over, I'd say a year or two, I ended up getting getting rid of thousands, and and now I'm down to less than a hundred, I'd say. Um, wow, wow! And I, I always kind of said to myself, if I ever sold my whole collection, it would be for something like home improvements or something like that. Well, me and my wife bought a house. And it is a little bit of a fixer upper, but the, you know, there's just certain things we want, like new floors, new countertops, and things like that. And I was like, well, this is the perfect opportunity to sell off some of my collection for money for, you know, uh, an investment, like in the uh, uh, like a home improvement. Well, that's really awesome that you were able to sell those non-sentimental comics off to turn into a home improvement project. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I'm sure you get a lot more use every day out of the improvements to your home rather than the comics that, like you said, you don't really read exactly every day. So, and with collections, especially there's sort of this, this feeling of urgency and a tendency, like I have to have all of these things right now. So that kind of leads into my next question, which is with being a musician, 
and being an artist. I've referenced this in my podcast briefly, but as you know, I've been an artist for over 10 years now, and I know how easy it is to feel the urge to stock up on products, paint supplies, canvases, items you think you'll use for projects, and that is a difficult habit to curb, especially when you're exhibiting regularly and you're creating a lot. So my question to you is, how do you manage the things that you need to make your creativity happen and not overbuying? This applies to both your art and your music. Okay, so um, for me, being an artist and a musician, I treat those things in two separate ways. Um, As an artist, I, I find we do have an extra challenge with art supplies and things like that. Um, because we do, as artists, we do look for things that inspire us. So mm-hmm. art supplies, but even just objects, you know, um, stuff we might find at a hardware store or a craft store, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll buy something because it inspires us, um, but then it, it leads to more clutter and things like that. So as artists, we have a, a unique challenge and we're just in general bad impulse buyers and that factors into buying art supplies you know you go to hobby lobby or michael's and you just buy stuff that you just see and you're like oh i'm gonna do this Uh, you know i don't know how many watercolor pads i've bought i I never do watercolor you know (laughs) but but i'm like oh i'm gonna start doing watercolor and you know i buy all this stuff i I never do it so it, it is one of those things, maybe taking a picture of something or maybe having photo references of things is all the inspiration we need. Um, and, and I've kind of treated it as, as when I go to an art supply store, I'm there to get something for a specific piece that I'm working on at the moment, or, you know, I plan to start, you know, at the moment. Sure. Um, so it, it's, for art supplies, I find it's really just willpower. You, you have to buy the things that you plan to work on that day or for your next project, you're going to do this and really just restrict yourself to, to, to just those supplies. And if you have any leftover, then you can worry about uh, donating them or, or things like that. I, I've actually given old art supplies to other artists who might use them. Yeah. So that's that's the the way I treat uh, being an artist is is just buy what you need when you need it. And I, I've kind of found that I have to stay out of Michael's in Hobby Lobby <laughs> just because I know just the impulse buy you know or is going to grab me. The the bug's going to grab me. You know. Um, so oh, yeah. I just kind of I do kind of intentionally stay stay out of Michael's and places like that. But the musician side of me, I treat totally different. Um, that is the one thing I'm not a minimalist about. And I think it is maybe important for uh, minimalists to have one vent or have one um, one area where, where they don't feel the need to be a, a minimalist. And as far as musicians go, we, you know, we're always wanting that next piece of gear that next instrument or that next uh you know guitar pedal or and things like that Mm -hmm. but i find that those are more 
you have to commit to those purchases a little bit more that they are in general, a little bit more expensive than art supplies. Absolutely. Um, A $200 guitar pedal. That's something you kind of have to plan for in advance and save up for in advance. And when you buy it, it is more of a major purchase. So I find that things like music gear, if I say, well, I I don't really care about being a minimalist when it comes to music gear, I still have the inherent restriction of just the price, the price tag of the stuff I want kind of keeps me at bay a little bit. Um, I bet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so I treat the two worlds in two separate ways. I, I stay, stay out of Michael's. I only buy what I need when I need it as far as art supplies go. But as far as music gear, uh, I kind of treat it as if I can save up the money for a $200 guitar pedal, I'm going to go ahead and get it. And I'm not really going to try to be a minimalist when it comes to music gear. That's really well said because I think when a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the lifestyle hear minimalism, they think of someone saying, oh, here are my 100 items that I roll up in my sleeping bag, which also functions as a backpack, you know? And yeah. <laughs> and I really like what you said about having an outlet for your passion or passions, because just because you're living simply or minimally doesn't mean you're getting rid of everything you hold dear or everything that causes you to express your creativity. So I think that was really well put. Right. And and it's, you can think of it as, um, you know, the equivalent of like a cheat day on a diet or working out or something like that. You know, everyone's got to have a cheat day. And I find that um, for me, music gear is, is my cheat. It does take uh, saving up of money to achieve that. So I find it is kind of like working out and then having a cheat day you know, mm-hmm. and then you have to maybe work off, you know, that cheat day again, you know, so um, there is a little bit of give and take, you know, you have to give something to, to get something. And so I love that. Know, you, I'm going to start using that analogy of a minimalist <laughs> yeah. cheat day. I like it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, just just credit me for it. And uh, you can use, <laughs> use it how you want. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been a really great interview and really eye-opening in a lot of different ways. And I guess before we wrap things up, any parting words for either beginning minimalists who are just starting out on their journey or advanced minimalists who maybe could use a little verbal boost? I guess if you're a new minimalist, just take it one day at a time. I mean, you you got nothing but time. Just keep your goal in mind and where you want to be. And it is kind of a cliche way of saying it, but maybe keep a a five-year goal in mind, keep a 10-year goal. And, you know, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? And do you want to have a bunch of stuff or do you want to have a minimalist lifestyle where you come home, there's nothing that needs to be cleaned or sorted or taken care of? That that's kind of my advice to a new minimalist is just take it one day at a time, but keep that goal in mind and always just take it one step towards that goal when you can. And don't feel the need to rush it because if you, if you rush it, you're going to get burnt out and you're going to just like a diet, you're going to get burnt out and you're going to, you know, end up indulging Mm -hmm. and then it's going to be harder to, to get back to it. 
to get back to where you were the second time around, as far as um, people in the, the later stages of minimalism, I guess just always remember that not everyone is where you are and it's, and it's easy to uh, say, well, why can't you get rid of this? Or why are you holding on to this? And it's just like, you, you have to remember you were at that point at some point, you know, so you mm-hmm. know, just keep that in mind. And, you know, me being married and having two kids, you know, like I said, you, you can't force it on people that they, they have to come about it. their uh, on their own, or mm-hmm. they have to make some sort of compromise with you. You know, I, I'm not a minimalist, but I could at least do this, you know, it, it might be a compromise or they might just have to uh, completely of their own volition, just, come about minimalism on their own so yeah that that would be my advice for maybe a a more advanced minimalist excellent well once again jason thank you so much for coming on the show thank you you can check out jason carrasco's music for yourself marshmallow machine on reverb nation soundcloud and bandcamp by clicking the links in the show notes it's very chill relaxing music with a psychedelic vibe So go ahead and click those links and check it out for yourself. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Clean Simple Free. Remember, you can always reach me directly by email at clean.simple.free at gmail.com or you can Instagram message me at clean.simple.free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I wish you all a peaceful and productive week.